Welcome to Matters of the Mind. Are you looking for answers, ideas, or just want someone to listen to you so you can vent? Join Dr. Peter Sacco as he discusses what matters most, issues that surround the mind. He gets to the heart of the matter when it comes to issues involving anger, depression, addictions, fear, anxiety, relationships, sex, abuse, bullying, and everything concerning you. And now, here's your host, Dr. Peter Sacco. Time is slipping away. Well, hello there and welcome to Matters of the Mind, where everything on your mind matters to us each and every week. That would be me, Dr. Peter Andrew Sacco, and my co-host and producer, Todd Miller. And we are digging out of a blizzard yesterday in the Niagara region. Uh, how's it your way, Todd? Uh, I think we got like eight centimeters of snow. I don't know what you guys got. I know Ottawa got hammered with something like 40 centimeters of snow. Oh, yeah, we got hammered big time. In fact, all these schools, a lot of the schools were shut down. Buses weren't running yesterday. And the classes at the colleges uh, were canceled last night. So, uh, yeah. You had a so slow night. Yeah, so people are finally saying, where's winter, where's winter? Well, you got your taste of winter, but I hate to say it, well, spring is just, what, a few weeks away. Yeah, and I moved yesterday, so I was uh, helping the movers uh, carry boxes through a blizzard condition. So it was fun, lots of fun. Yeah, it's really interesting, uh, you know, the elements of weather, and as to whether or not, it affects people. I hear this all the time that people will say, well, the barometric pressure is affecting my mood. It's making me depressed. It's making me run down. Or when the sun is out, it makes me feel great. Or my all-time favorite is when there's a full moon out. Uh, that's when all the crackers come out, so to speak, out of the woodwork. And it's funny, Todd, because I actually have friends of mine who are nurses uh, that'll say, you know what, Pete, you should see when there's a full moon. Boy, we have a lot of um, incidences those evenings uh, due to people kind of like flipping out. And even cop friends have told me the same. You know, there's um, there's some reasoning behind the barometric pressure. A lot of people get headaches and migraines and things like that. But I guess what's more interesting to me is I'm watching Facebook all the time and people are talking about uh, Mercury is in retrograde. And, and, and I'm like, what? what? What language are they speaking? And they equate it, or, or I guess the offshoot of that is that it does all sorts of strange things to personal lives and business, because uh, I've been reading about friends and their businesses have increased, a, you know, experienced a drop in, in customer engagement, and they're all going, well, it's because Mercury's in retrograde. And I went, okay. <laughs> so I have to do some research on that, because I'm, I'm of the impression now that things beyond our world are impacting our world on a daily basis. You know what? I kind of like to want to think that, and um, that, that's actually why I've invited uh, a really good friend of mine who's going to be our guest today. He's a chiropractor by trade and, and an exceptionally good one at that. I will boast and preach him because I've damaged myself so bad where I actually destroyed my sacrum, and Brian got me walking up again a few years back, and with that said, not only has he been a chiropractor for 35 years, He's also the retired president of the Niagara Center for of the Royal Astronomy Society of Canada. He's a big-time astronomer, and I mean, I've never met anybody more sci-fi as well as Brian. So um, he's the ultimate Trekkie and the ultimate Star Wars fan. And um, 
you know, many times over many years, Brian and I and I have had these chats while you know while he's adjusting my back, cracking me, and I always ask him. So tell me, Brian, you know, full moon tonight, what's going to happen? Oh, there's a meteor shower. What's going to happen mentally and all this kind of stuff? So does this mean? That he's still your chiropractor. Have you given up on your relationship with Tony Hawk? Have you stopped doing, you know, extreme boarding and skating and biking? Is that that in your past now or what? You know what, Todd? It's kind of funny. And my, I, and I'll, I'll give a quick reference to my mother, Bridget Sacco. My mother always said, "Wait till you hit thirty, your body, you're going to start to feel all of your childhood stupidity and all of your childhood stun stares and all that stuff." And you know what, Mom? You were 100% wrong. It was Todd. It was when I hit 40. Actually, I guess you could say karma really got me then. So I guess I kind of got it double fold because what my mother promised me at 30, I got it at 40, but I got it infinitely worse. Yeah. Isn't it fun how the body starts breaking down and you just do simple things? Like, I don't know, I was lifting a few boxes yesterday, and today I feel like I went 10 rounds with Mike Tyson. It's like everything hurts. Joints, muscles, things I didn't even know I had. I probably can't even pronounce them either, but they hurt. Well, I, I'm hurting today. I rarely ever, you know, I'll be one of these people to tell you, I, I don't shovel snow usually because the doc that's going to come on, the chiropractor will also say, and um, also my physician will say, well, you know, shoveling snow is not a natural activity. It's a great way not only to get a heart attack if you're not in shape, but also a way to arch and throw your back out, your joints, your hips. But yesterday I was feeling a little energetic as well as bored, so I was out there shoveling twice. And you know what, Todd? Going up the stairs today, holy moly, I felt like I was doing my own impression of Eddie the Eagle, you know, wondering, gee, am I going to do a face plant going back down the stairs? Yeah, I've seen those where you're going up the stairs and it looks like you're in a crouch. You're kind of all stooped over. And, uh, you know, my, uh, my knees today sound like a box of Rice Krispies. You know, there's lots of popping and cracking going on. But, you know, hey... With the sacrifices we make for life, right? Absolutely. And that's, you know, it's really great to get Brian on today because it's actually Brian's day off. He's, uh, you know, got these doc wonderful doctor hours where his Wednesdays are off for him. And I'm sure, because uh, actually Brian's going to do this from his office, that his phone is probably ringing off the hook today. Like, Doc, I kind of threw my back out yesterday shoveling. Doc, can you see me today? So we're do really lucky to have him. Do you think he's, he'll be able to give us an adjustment remotely through the phone? I don't know. I mean, that would be great if you could do that. I mean, there's so many businesses now that can run via Skype. You can have remote, you know, con I'm sure you could even do that if you're not doing it already, doing remote consults on psychological things. But a chiropractor might be a bit of a stretch. Yeah, you know, actually, he is one of the, and you know what, I will say this, uh, not only because he's a good friend, but also he is probably, and I've been to several chiropractors over many, 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 many years, and Brian is bar none the best. Brian, actually, when I go in, he works on his patients for at least 30 minutes, sometimes longer, and he does everything from acupressure, massage, right to the adjustment, and he gives you some really, really good conversations, especially, he's really into Marvel and DC Comics as well, too. Nice. Well, he sounds like he's all-rounded, and, you know, if he's a Star Trek fan and a Star Wars fan, he's all right in my book, and if he can heal my body, even better. But, you know, I think the thrust of our conversation today is going to be about all of this otherworldly stuff, which is quite intriguing when I was reading his bio this morning. Yeah, you know, it's really interesting. I've always asked him this, because I, I threw this out to him on a couple occasions, and I know it's kind of like a, it's, it gets him going, where um, these nurses will say, you know what, Pete, it's going to be a full moon this week. So people are just going to go crazy. So I'd ask Brian this question, and I'm, 
if you want to ask him, he'll love the question, Todd, because if I ask him, then he's going to go, okay, Pete's just bugging me again, because I'll ask him the question, so Brian, full moon, what does it mean? And then he'll stop adjusting me, look at me, and I go, Peter, did you know that there's a full moon every night? Because the moon doesn't become a quarter of itself oh. one week and a half week, you know, half of itself another week. He goes, it's always full, my friend. It's just that we don't see it as can being completely full. So why all of a sudden are people going crazy when it's full all the time? So people should be going crazy all the time. So I've gotten that lecture before and I love it. So it's, it's uh, so following up on that, that leads me to believe then it's the effect of the light on us or how much of the moon is visible that determines how crazy people get. Todd, I dare you. You, you. you you get to ask him that question. I dare you to ask him it. He can't punch me. I mean, I don't know if he punches you or just gives you the look, but he can't give me the look through the phone. So no, no. I'm just going to do my best. No, you're totally safe. So, folks, when we return, we're going to have Dr. Brian George Piak, a chiropractor by profession for over 35 years, but even more so, an exceptional astronomer, and also a paleontological director. He's also into archaeology. And if that's not enough, Brian's also a blacksmith. Oh, is there anything he doesn't do? I don't know. We'll have to find out. You're listening to Matters of the Mind on Listen Up Talk Radio, talk-radio.ca. We'll be right back. Stay with us. The music you'll hear on Out of the Blue will be jazz for the most part. No specific styles or genres. Every piece of music is handpicked to deliver quality performances. Out of the Blue can be heard on rtds.ca, live Mondays, 1 to 3 p.m., and encore performances Tuesday to Friday, anytime on demand. It's the true spirit of jazz, a touch of everything and then some. Thanks for listening. I'm Larry Green. This is Dr. Peter Andrusacco, host of Matters of the Mind. Just want to thank you all for making 2015 a tremendous season again for our show, and we look forward to seeing you next year. Hey, do you like to read? I've got some free books from you. That's right. Yours truly have some really cool books you might find interesting, especially if you like The Walking Dead or are a Vampire Diaries fan. Check out my website, petersacco.com. That's Peter, S-A-C-C-O.com. And right now you can download Why in the Hell Serial Killers? Crazy for Vampires and Zombies. And also you can check out my book and download Technological Raid. Yup, folks, they are free. And also for those interested in making a difference in anti-bullying campaigns, you can download three free eBooks right now. Also at petersacco.com. And you can go to bullyingisforthebirds.com. Thank you once again so much, folks. You are the best listeners in the world. We exist because of you. Have a great holiday season this year. Welcome back to Matters of the Mind on Listen Up Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Peter Sacco. Heard worldwide on Listen Up Talk Radio at talk-radio.ca. Well, hello there and welcome back.
back to Matters of the Mind, where everything on your mind matters to us each and every week and every day. And that would make this also on February 17th, even though a lot of people in the Niagara region are digging out, including uh, our guest. Uh, our guest today, as we were preaching his wonders and his virtues, is Dr. Brian George Piak. As I said by profession, he's a chiropractor in the Niagara region for 35 years, a retired president of the Niagara Center of the Royal Astronomical Society of Canada and has taught observational astronomy in grade schools, high schools, and university. And he's spent five years as a national representative to the RASC. And he's also the go-to person for newspapers, radio stations, and television when something out of the normal happens, as well as Brian is also the president of the Niagara Geological Society and a paleontological director of the same group. So. And also, <laughs> Brian's interested in fossils um, 370 million years before T-Rex walked the Earth. So, and he's also a blacksmith. We'll just throw that in there for good measure, just in case uh, anybody is interested in blacksmithing. But with that said, uh, Brian, welcome, welcome, welcome to our show. Thank you. So, we were talking um before we had you on, and I'll let Todd ask the first question. Oh, sure. My first question, actually, for you is one business card double-sided or two with with all that that you do? How do you keep track of all that? And how do you tell people what you do? It's, you know, well, I guess I'm, I, I get bored easy. Well, you're a smithy. You're, uh, you know, if you use that term these days, uh, a blacksmith. I mean, you do all those other wonderful things. And, and it's, like you said, just to stave off boredom. Okay, well, I was forced by Dr. Sacco to ask this question. So um, why is it when there's a full moon that people act up? Uh, yes, indeed. Well, um, as you know, I'm a chiropractor, and I do have a lot of nurses and police officers that come in. And uh, we always enter into these conversations as to do you really see anything in the full moon? And they are very abject about it. They say, absolutely. You know, the nurses say we see more births, we see more broken bones. The police officer says, yes, it's, we have the more crazies out, we have more arrests, and so on and so forth. Uh, but as a, a bit of a scientist, I've gone into the records and looked, and there is no indication that this ever happens. And uh, I think there's a gentleman that does the skeptic. He actually has lists of all of these phenomenal global studies that were done, and nowhere in any one of the studies is there any correlation. And of course, if you're a bit of a scientist, you can't really see how that would happen, because a full moon is there all the time. The gravitational influences are by mass, and since the moon can't lose half of its mass in two weeks, the influence is always there. But people, and Peter will probably agree with me, uh, our memory is a very faulty machine. It looks for patterns very, very quickly so that we can remember things. So we have a gentleman or a nurse who is having a really bad uh, evening. There's lots of problems coming in. The first thing they'll say is, well, it must be a full moon. And this tends to stick with us. Our memory tends to use that. And any other time it gets busy or crazy, they use the same phrase even though there's no correlation at all. And you can test this quite easily by asking them, well, when's the next full moon? And they'll just look at you and go, well, I don't know. So they take the cause and look for a reason. So they have a busy night, then they tend to look for a cause, and of course it's got to be the full moon. And the same thing sort of happens with us. Um, here in Niagara Falls, we've got a really bad street. It's got a horrendous amount of 
traffic lights one right after the other. And all you have to do is get caught by about two of them, and you'll hear yourself saying, geez, I get caught by all the red lights all the time. And we just associate patterns, even though there is no real pattern there. And uh, a bit of history, too. This all started way back, I believe, in a hospital in New York City that said something to the effect of they had a 1% greater increase in births and happened to be a full moon, and then the newspapers just ran with it. So a lot of it then, I guess, we're talking about is urban legend. Yes, yep. So then let me ask you this then, Brian. Does the atmosphere overall, or, and Todd, we were just, Todd and I were just kind of talking about, the way the planets are aligned, can it have the ability to change um, people's bodies, the homeostasis in the body, and also affects their, you know, their brain chemistry. Well, again, you can do the math for this. If you have a full moon over top of your head, the tidal force change of gravity, which is the effect from the top of your head to the uh, bottom of your feet, that tidal change is somewhere on a order of a million times less than the gravitational tug by the pillow you put your head on. And, of course, in the morning skies for about the last two weeks, if you get up around 7 o'clock and look eastward, you can see the five planets known to the ancients naked eye. And they're fairly easy to pick out. They're the ones that don't twinkle because planets do not twinkle. And they're in this nice straight line from the east over towards the southwest where Jupiter is. And people say, well, the planets are lining up. In reality, they're nowhere even near each other. It's just an optical perception that you will get here on Earth looking towards that direction. And they aren't really lining up. They aren't really in this neat little small area of the sky. They're all over our, our solar system. And the effects of gravity, even when you do the math, are so insignificantly small that there is absolutely no effect whatsoever by any of the, um, any of the objects in our solar system. So that being said, I have a wealth of friends on Facebook who um, sincerely believe, and I have no, I have no reason to doubt them or to um, you know, or, or believe them. But the question being for you is there's a lot of talk about Mercury being in retrograde. I see all of these posts about people saying, Oh, my business is down this month or this quarter. Um, I've had a failed relationship. There seems to be all this bad news that people attach. And I don't know if that's just another pattern that people are perpetuating or if there's some truth to it about Mercury being in retrograde and causing all of these sort of misfortunes in people's lives. He's laughing. Well, I, I honestly, I haven't heard that one, but I do find it rather humorous. Um, does anybody know what Mercury in retrograde really means? No, do you? Because hopefully you can explain it to us. Well, Mercury, Mercury is really close to the sun. It zips around in 88 days, give or take. So one year on Mercury is 88 days. Now, of course, the Earth is a little bit slower, a little farther out. There are times when in the orbits we'll be catching up to Mercury and then we Mercury will zip around and it'll pass us and because there's this interplay like two cars going down a racetrack um, beating each other the apparent visual object in the sky will tend to move opposite uh, the direction it was moving just 40 days prior and it's just geometry there is no way some 
a planet that is visually looks like it's moving backwards can influence you. There's just no way. Plus, Mercury is very, very small. It's about one quarter the size of the Earth. And between Mercury and uh, us is the planet Venus, and that's almost the same size as the Earth. So even if there was some tiny little bit of something that might affect us, Venus will just wipe it out. And that's where all the gorgeous creatures, the female creatures in our world, come from Venus. That's what they say. Women are from Venus, men are from Mars. So. Ooh, careful there. Well, okay, is that another myth we want to Venus is a very nasty place. Um, <laughs> I put my foot yeah, in yeah, Peter's laughing. Uh, there, of, uh, of all of the rocky planets, that's probably the only one we'll never go to. Um, Venus is the hottest planet in our solar system. If you put your laptop on a rock, it would literally melt away. It's well over 700 degrees. When it rains, it rains acid. Uh, the atmosphere is so heavy, like if you put your thumb out horizontally, there's about 14 pounds of air, about seven kilograms of air on your thumbnail. If you're on Venus, that goes up to about three quarters of a ton. So you would get roasted, squished, burnt, rotted away, and it would be an incredibly bad time because a day on Venus lasts almost uh, as long as it's here. Or actually a little bit longer. So seeing women come from Venus can actually get you into trouble. Sorry, ladies. <laughs> so, so, Brian, let me then ask you then, what is so cool about what they're calling now the gravitational wave discovery? Ah, yes, LIGO. Well, about 101 years ago, this gentleman had a phenomenal thought experiment. Now, remember, this is 100 years ago. Einstein was doing some thinking, and he came up with the idea that gravity isn't a force. Gravity results from a mass that bends the space-time continuum. Now, again, this is 100 years ago, and it sounds like something right out of Star Trek that maybe Data may have said. And he postulated that if there's two really heavy objects and they're orbiting each other, they will cause ripples in the space-time. And LIGO just actually in September of this year detected that. Now, a gravitational wave came from a merger of two black holes 1.3 billion light years from Earth. Now think about that for a second, okay? 1.3 billion years. Light travels about 9.8 trillion kilometers in one year. Multiply that one by 1.3 billion years and you get this phenomenal number. It works out uh, to something with 22 zeros to the power of 10 to 22 zeros. If you drop a rock in a pond of water, you know those little ripples that happen? Mm -hmm. Well, imagine those ripples traveling for 1.3 billion years, and then some energetic humans on Earth build a machine that can actually detect those tiny little ripples in space-time. And they built this device. It's got uh, two tubes at 90 degrees to one another. The tubes are four kilometers long, and they can actually measure this gravitational wave, because what it does is it stretches space. The entire tube stretches out and then contracts. The tube at 90 degrees does it in the opposite frame. So if the one stretches, the other one contracts. And with phenomenal equipment, they could actually measure this and definitely concluded that gravitational waves are real. Einstein was absolutely correct. 
They used a supercomputer using Einstein's equations, and they compared it to the actual measurements that they took, and they were bang on. So this gentleman, at 101 years ago, nailed it, and he absolutely was right on the money. Now, what that means for us, of course, is we now have a new tool, and we're going to be able to look at the universe in an entirely different way. It's like having a telescope that can look into areas that we never knew existed, and we're going to discover some pretty incredible stuff. It's funny, as I was listening to you talk about the time-space continuum, that is a theme that has been uh, used so effectively throughout the this, this Star Trek canon um, where they talk about energy ribbons and rips in the time-space continuum and black holes where ships disappear and things like that. Um, what are your feelings on that and using it in that manner in a way that it's used as a, a way to travel to different times and different time periods? Well, um, if I can possibly liken this to something that you might feel a little bit more comfortable with, um, back in uh, the 1800s, a gentleman by the name of Faraday created this little device, and when he cranked it, it created electricity. And this was something new, it was novel, and even Faraday said, wow, this is kind of cool, it's a neat little parlor trick, but this will never affect humanity, this will never do any good for the rest of us. And I query you by saying, how would you like to live your life without electricity? Mm. Would be a bit difficult. So this is where we are with LIGO, with, the, with this discovery. We're right at that point where it's now this really neat curiosity, but we've got the whole rest of technology to fall in place. And the possibility of space-time suddenly becomes very, very real. So maybe Star Trek wasn't quite so off the mark. They always were forward-thinking. So I guess, this, you know what, Brian, and you and I have had this conversation many, many, many times. Um, so with this technology, then, does it open up potential hysteria or fears to people saying, oh, my God, what if we then start to discover that there is alien life, there, there's other, you know, constellations, uh, galaxies that have this alien life, and what if we go awaken them and then we start or create this war of the world scenario? <laughs> Uh, yes, that actually is, even Stephen Hawking had said that if we wake up the aliens' knowledge to us, that might be a bad thing. But I can't really follow that. Um, again, several times I've been asked to debunk the UFO uh, problems. Um, people see things, uh, they're not used to seeing things, and they immediately associate them with alien life forms. Remember, they, they see a UFO, and the U in UFO means unidentified, but they immediately say, oh, well, you know, now we see an alien type of thing. And most of the objects that they see they think are UFOs are some type of natural phenomena, which we can talk about if you'd like. But I want to sort of talk about the problem with aliens um, actually coming to visit us. The number one question I have is, like, why would they come? They don't need our resources. resources. If they're smart enough to get around the space-time continuum, then, you know, our intelligence to them is insignificant. If you take a chimpanzee, we share about 98% of the same DNA as a chimpanzee, and the smartest chimpanzee can, you know, maybe use some hand gestures. So if you flip that around, the 2% difference in our DNA 
creates humans, and we do things like symphonies. We build the Hubble Space Telescope. If we flip that around again so that the alien is now 2% smarter than us, it can get around the problem of uh, the space-time. Because uh, you have to remember the distance between stars is phenomenal. Average, about five light years. So somehow an alien has to get around that problem, has to get around the problem of radiation, which is why the movie Martian kind of fell a little flat there for me. Phenomenal energy requirements. But say all of that is met by an alien and they get to Earth. The problems I have here is, again, with the people saying that aliens have visited us, the alien travels across the galaxy, navigates at the speed or faster than the speed of light, travels across the galaxy, they get to Earth, and what do they do? They crash. And they crash in the desert. You know, like, even we have airbags. <laughs> you know, it, it just doesn't seem to make sense. And why would they need headlights if they've got navigational aids that allow them to travel faster than the speed of light? Um, and, you know, they never visit a university. They're always found way out in the farmer's field somewhere. And another problem I have with them, especially with the people that say they've been abducted, they're put on a slab, and the first thing they tell you is they were probed, right? They have all of these probes that go through the nether region. And again, why? If they've got technology, so do we. We've got CAT scans, PET scans, and yet all of these abductees say that they had probes um, used on them. And it just doesn't make sense. And even that being said, if an alien came here and was walking amongst us, how would we recognize what an alien looks like? Because we've never really seen one. Uh, Hollywood tends to put faces on all of the aliens that you have uh, in the movies. And even here on Earth, the highest density of life are invertebrates, and most of them don't have faces. So again, how could we recognize an alien? And if we flip that around, an alien is looking at us about the same way we would look at a worm, right? Because of the intelligence differences. And when did you really care what the worm was thinking? And for the worm, they may not even understand that you're standing next to them. They might not be able to understand your level of intelligence. So, you know, that might be happening right now. We might have aliens all around us. And again, why would they come? Well, the only real possibility would be maybe they were curious because they, we have nothing to give to them, nothing to add to their technology. Well, I'm feeling most humanoid right now because I feel like I'm talking to an alien who has 2% more brain power than I have. So we're going to need to take a short break and I'm going to collect my thoughts. You're listening to Matters of the Mind on Listen Up Talk Radio, worldwide at talk-radio.ca. Buying or selling a home, condo, or investment property may be one of the largest transactions you'll ever make. It's important to gather as much information as you can, and preferably from experienced, successful professionals. When it comes time to make your move, call the Mulholland Ross Real Estate Team with Keller Williams Real Estate Service at 416-230-8500 or visit www.realestatetoronto.com. Whether you're making your first move or selling your much-loved family home, the Mulholland Ross Team offers over 26 years of real estate sales and service across the GTA. Listen every Sunday at 4 p.m. here on Radio That Doesn't Suck to hear the team share advice and information that will assist you with your personal wealth through real estate. Questions or topics you'd like to see covered? Email info at realestatetoronto.com or call the Mulholland Ross team at 416-230-8500.
Welcome to my new book, Niagara's Most Haunted Legends and Myths, which is not just a book about ghosts and haunted places, rather about history in the Niagara region. This book explores and uncovers parts of the Niagara region which are considered some of the richest in North American history and the most haunted. As a matter of fact, one of the bloodiest battles in North American history, the War of 1812, between the British and the Americans was fought here. And this year, the bicentennial year anniversary of the War of 1812 is covered in this book. This book explores most of the haunted places, legends that have existed from the 1800s right now to 2012. Each chapter covers a different type of landmark which not only educates readers on historical significances, but also entertains with anecdotal ghost stories and paranormal investigations. Join me in this book as we visit beds and breakfasts, ships and boats, trains, tunnels, museums, mansions, highways, forts, cemeteries, waterfalls, and many more, and see if the Niagara region is really haunted. Niagara's Most Haunted Legends and Myths is now available at Indigo Chapters and online on Amazon.com and BarnesandNoble.com and visit our website, www.niagara'smosthaunted.com. Be afraid. Be very afraid. Welcome back to Matters of the Mind on Listen Up Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Peter Sacco. Heard worldwide on Listen Up Talk Radio talk-radio.ca Hello there and welcome back to Matters of the Mind where everything on your mind matters to us and what's mattering to us today is we got the most amazing guest, uh, Dr. Brian George Piak. He's a chiropractor by profession, but he's absolutely not talking really much about anything to a chiropractor. He's also a retired president of the Niagara Center of the Royal Astronomical Society of Canada, and he teaches and preaches a lot on the galaxies, the universe as a whole, and the whole physics behind it. So, Brian, before, um, I guess I'll ask you a really serious kind of question now. Um, what would your pick be, and why, and how has that influenced people? Star Wars or Star Trek? Oh. Juan <laughs> <laughs> Burnett, I don't know, it's a, it's a tough one. Uh, yeah, that really, yes, it really is a, a, a tough question, because... Um, of course, both of them bend physics a little bit. Uh, I have a lot of respect for Star Wars because in their opening theme, it states, uh, what is it, in a galaxy far, far away. A long time ago. Yeah, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Well, the fact they say in a galaxy far, far away sort of excuses them from our phys physics and our physical limitations because we don't know what's happening in a galaxy far, far away. Um, there is a field of physics called quantum physics that deals with the incredibly small. And even though physics that we can figure out for, you know, people our size, when we get down to the size of an atom, all of that physics falls apart. So the fact he said, you know, in a galaxy far, far away, I can really let go a lot of latitude. Um, I have to admit, as much as I like Star Wars, I am a Trekkie fan. Um, I really enjoyed the first generation for obvious reasons. If you look around us, you'll actually see uh, reverberations of everything in there that, you know, guys my age saw in Star Trek and they wanted to create, and then 
all of a sudden we have this, everything from talking computers to, if you remember the CD discs they used to store. So, Peter, I'd have to say Trekkie. You know, that's actually, actually, you know, Brian, one of the highlights of my professional career was sitting at Gene Roddenberry's table that was on display at a Comic-Con and doing a presentation from it. So it was actually pretty cool. But I'm not going to say I was a big fan of William Shatner and those tights. Well, again, I, I can't just say Star Trek because of one person. I'm going to use the entire um, gamut. The other one I really enjoyed was Stargate Atlantis because they had uh, that one Canadian guy who was the quantum physicist. And it was interesting because they were actually using breaking quantum physics news on that show. So I'd have to throw that one in there, too. So, you know, I'm going to get more serious for a moment. And, and from what I understand, it's Kirk versus Picard. And you're, you're in Shatner's court, I take it. Uh, yes, I did like that one over The Next Generation. And I really preferred the Enterprise series as well for the same reason. Really? Wow. I was a, I guess I was a Voyager kind of guy, but uh, I mean, afterwards, I liked first gen, but then got into Voyager quite, quite uh, happily. <laughs> um, I wanted to ask you about new stars. We, we hear occasionally about a new star or something in, in the, um, you know, the galaxy that we've just discovered and it, it, it attracts a lot of attention, makes a lot of noise. And I wonder, is it because that it's simply a new star or that our equipment is so primitive that we are just now uh, gaining sight of this phenomenon? Um, probably a bit of both. You have to remember the problems that we run into trying to examine the universe. We only have one way of doing that, and it's by examining the light. And light is really finicky. It is affected by everything from black holes to neutron stars. Um, a new star forming, I'm not really sure where that would come into play because a lot of the news is when a star blows up and we have all of these phenomenal things that happen with it. But that being said, if you can go out and look for the Orion Nebula, or sort of the Orion constellation. If you download a little chart off the internet and go outside, look towards the southwest, you will see this hourglass pattern of stars. In the center, there are three stars almost equally spaced, and then just down from that, there's this fuzzy little glow. And I invite people to put a pair of binoculars on that. Um, this is called the Orion's Nebula, and in the center, of this nebula, there is a region where solar systems are being born, they're being formed as we speak, and they're virtually identical to ours. And there's not just one there, there's somewhere on the order of almost 90 of them that we've seen through the Hubble Space Telescope. And this has kind of been hitting the news because, you know, we think we're sort of um, special. We live in the, you know, Goldilocks planet and this and that. And there are many more solar systems out there. In fact, even for the, the case of the Earth, they figure there's at least 400 million duplicates of Earth in our galaxy. Now, mind you, our galaxy is 100,000 light years wide, so it's really big. But this is kind of amazing because we can actually see young stars forming, and we can see solar systems, planets forming around them. And I know that's hit the news a few times, and people are quite impressed with that. And I usually have that slide in my presentation because 90 solar systems, think about it, 90 solar systems just like our sun and all of the eight planets and dwarf planets around it, many of them just in one tiny little spot that you can actually see with a pair of binoculars. You can see this little glow of the nebula. Uh, Brian, one of the things I definitely want to 
ask you right now. Um, I've been fortunate enough to actually have Brian write the forward to uh, my book, The Internet Apocalypse, and Brian's forward is amazing. It's <laughs> it's worth buying the book just to read his forward. And I guess the question that I have for you, Brian, is how realistic is it that Earth could literally be wiped out by some sort of meteor shower, some you know electromagnetical disaster, and what would the ramifications be to us, uh, internet-wise and societal-wise? Oh, actually, Peter, I have to apologize a bit because we were talking about an asteroid impact uh, wiping out... Uh parts of the earth and when I read your book I realized I should have wrote a different intro and talked about something that would wipe out the internet much more easily hmm. but as far as asteroids go of course we know that one sort of helped knock out the dinosaurs um, chunks of rock hitting the earth happen all of the time ones about five to ten meters we get about one every year and they are usually too small to hit the surface so they blow up um, several kilometers up in space, and they release about one Hiroshima's worth of energy. Now, the same people that used the supercomputer for the LIGO experiment did something similar, and they came up with what would uh, be a killer asteroid to knock out Earth. And it turns out, if this asteroid only, if it hit the Earth on the surface of land as opposed to the ocean where the dinosaur killer did, um, we only need something about one-tenth the size. It would create a 15-kilometer uh, wide uh, crater. The material would blast up into the air. It would darken the sky for six to ten years. Photosynthesis would fail. The um, food chain would then fail and compound that with the fact that the dust in the upper atmosphere would trap the solar energy. That would increase certain reactions and would wipe out our uh, ozone. UV would then hit the Earth uh, almost twice as strong, if not three times as strong, pretty well wiping out an awful lot of, of life. Now, that's a really nasty scenario. That's a real, real bludgeoning kind of uh, environmental thing. If I can contrast that with something called a CME, a coronal mass ejection, and this is probably more likely. The asteroid I talked about, the one kilometer wide, scientists figure about one every 500,000 years, so the chances are very, very light. Now, back in July of 2012, we narrowly missed a bullet sent at us from the sun. The sun had a very active sunspot. It created a flare, created an explosion, and a bunch of material was blasted off the sun. Now, you remember the sun is about a million, 300,000 times bigger than the Earth. The gravitational force there is immense, and the energy that was knocked off the sun was able to escape that gravitational tug. So it was, it was a huge billion-ton cloud of high-energy particles, and it went right by the Earth. In fact, uh, if we were in our orbit around the sun just six days prior, it would have hit us directly, and that was back in 2012. We wouldn't be having this conversation because nothing electrical would have been able to survive that blast. It literally would have ionized the air, it would have created currents through every electrical piece of wire, even pipelines would have uh, had problems, anything with metal would have been charged, it would have been a disaster. So the reality is, if we ever get hit by one of these, you can kiss everything electrical you've got goodbye, from your toaster to water coming into your house.
Wasn't that in the first Superman movie where Lois Lane's car stalled because of some sort of solar... Who knows? There was something that fell and then she lost all power. But I've heard that for years that even people complaining about their cell service all of a sudden say, oh, it must be solar flares and that's why my I'm not getting great reception today. Yes. Now, the one I spoke about was a massive coronal ejection. There's all grades, of course, up to it. But it happens quite frequently where we will get blackouts in our radio patterns because the sun has kicked off a bit of energy and it's intersected the earth and basically it just overpowers our satellites and anything that we have electronic and it's very common in fact if you go to spaceweather.com they have different charts there and they'll say you know we've had a blackout in this area because of a solar flare and so on and so forth so this is a much more realistic scenario where we could lose computers internet everything and they figured if the um, the blast would have hit us in 2012 the impact would have been worth 12 trillion dollars wow well brian we, we only have about three minutes left um but before i let you go there's one pressing question that somebody had wanted me to ask you and it's something that you and i had talked about before you brought it up do you think it possible was in our lifetimes to see some sort of man-made dinosaur created oh boy <laughs> <laughs> four minutes. We got four minutes. Uh, four minutes. Where do I go? Okay. Um, if I can't get through all of this, I would recommend looking up a gentleman by the name of Jack Horner. He has talks on TED.com, and you can listen to the full uh, itinerary there. Do I think in our lifetimes? Um, yes, I do think we're going to produce a dinosaur. And again, we're going to be using uh, retrograde genetic um, programming because we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that uh, birds are the descendants of dinosaurs. And when I went to school, because it was a little while ago, the length of DNA that we had in our bodies, I was taught most of it was junk DNA. We now know that this is a zip file for every ancestor you've ever had. So retro programming a chicken's DNA to come out with um, a dinosaur is a real possibility. Uh, doing it the way they did in Jurassic Park won't work because DNA only uh, has a survival rate of about 100,000 years, so most of the DNA is gone. But we do have some of the DNA locked up in a chicken, so they're going to retro-engineer it. And of course, people are going to be really upset with the ethical considerations, and I'm sure Peter will go over this. But along the way, we're going to be able to eliminate um, birth defects, something like spina bifida, occulta manifesta, a horrible disease that creates a hole in the spine, very, very nasty. Uh, we're going to be able to eliminate that in the very near future. In fact, the one gentleman that's working on it with uh, Jack Horner, his name is uh, Ken Larsons. He's at McGill University here in Canada. So I would have to say in our lifetimes, I would be really surprised if we did not. Well, that's all well and good. You know, I mean, I, I love the medical, you know, uh, component of that, you know, seeing seeing a triceratops walking down, you know, Main Street doesn't really jazz me. But I mean, for a lot of people, it will. But, you know, I have a more important question for you. And in my lifetime, uh, will Montgomery Scott's vision of transportation be a reality? Uh, you mean the beam me up thing? The, I want to be beamed up. I want to be beamed to the corner <laughs> store so that when I need milk, I don't need to get in my car and shovel it off. Okay, in our lifetime, definitely not. Uh -huh. okay. However, is it possible? 
In quantum physics, we have done that. We have had photons and electrons teleported it, if you wish. Um, there is something else called a spooky interaction at a distance. This is Einstein's description of this. And in the quantum world, it happens. In fact, if it didn't happen, our sun would blow up. But that's a topic for a whole new discussion. Right. So I do not think it'll ever really be a possibility simply because of the amount of information uh, that would be needed to rematerialize you. And then the other question is, we would have to destroy the first you to create the second you. So is that ethically moral? Yes, and I may come back as someone else, so not entirely desirable. <laughs> Dr. Brian, where can we find you on this uh, great wide world web? Ah, you can find me, um, actually, if you go to Astronomy Niagara, which is our club's website, and go to the links and just look up for Brian. I'm the only Brian there. It has my email, and uh, it's easy to remember, astronomyniagara.com. And then you can find me, send me an email. I'd be happy to uh, talk to you about things. On March the 12th, I'll be at Heartland Forest here in Niagara. I'll be doing uh, two one-hour presentations indoors uh, while the rest of my group sets up the telescopes, the real telescopes. Please don't go to a local store and buy one if you want to buy a telescope. Don't do that. They'll have the real ones for you to look at, and uh, you can take a look at some of the deep sky stuff and get the hooks embedded in you. Awesome. Well, my comic book... Uh one is still working fine, but I guess I'll trade it in. <laughs> Thank you very much for joining us today on Matters of the Mind, and we hope to talk to you again. More Matters of the Mind coming up right around the corner. Stay with us. back to matters of the mind where everything on your mind matters to us each and every week and what matters most now is Ellen Campbell who is the president and CEO founder of the Center for Abuse Awareness uh, which is abusehurts.ca hello Ellen how are you today I'm good I'm good Peter thanks how are you doing I'm doing very good thanks um, so I guess one of the things uh, I wanted to ask you I had a couple um, ladies ask me if you have any workshops or anything that up, that is up and coming in the next two or three months in terms of um, awareness, some, not symposiums, but actual workshops or talks for people from the community that wanted to come out um, or even an individual that is currently in a situation or a survivor of abuse, that they could come out and learn about it. And then if you do any networking in terms of setting these individuals up where they could come and speak to somebody or even come and see a counselor? Um, we don't have any workshops lined up. I, I could probably do one if there's enough people looking for information. By all means, we're a referral resource center, and um, we could do an information center and, and just what it looks like and, and what their options are, both you know therapeutically, support-wise, and even legally, I guess. Uh, is that what you mean, Peter? Yes, yes, correct. Okay, well, maybe we'll put something together then if you think there's enough people out there that would need it. Um, 
perhaps you'd consider speaking at it as well. You're such an expert in the area of trauma. Yeah, sure, absolutely. If there was something, you know, that's, uh, that was feasibly put in place and if there was a demand. Uh, because yeah. it, it's just people will ask me from time to time, they'll say, oh, yeah, uh, you have that, you know, abuse hurts on the show. Um, I'm so-and-so, I'm in this type of situation or whatever. Is there any sort of outreach uh, available from this organization? Because I know down, oh, in my neck, down in my neck of the woods, we have uh, WARM, which is the Women's Addiction Remedial Mediation. It's more for women, not only that are in abusive situations, but that are also trying to find sobriety and abstinence. So that was what a couple of ladies had asked me up your neck of the woods. They had emailed me. Okay, well, by all means, you can refer them to me, Peter, because we, we are referral resource centers, so I can certainly help get them hooked up with some support, for sure, in the interim. And since we last chatted with you, the grand opening of the warehouse has happened. Tell us about how it's going, and, and I see there's a great video on your site from YouTube showing some of the stuff you've got in your incredible warehouse. Yeah, it went really well. We've uh, had a couple of really successful days. The next one is February the 27th. Um, and we're open from 10 till 6 at 125 Edward Street in Aurora. And we've had uh, some really good, uh, you know, sales. People are anxious to get good quality furniture, but at a really, really reasonable price. And, of course, we do the, the chalk painted furniture. And we had a, a chalk painting class, and I'll, I'll just put it out there as well, that we, uh, we do that once a month, and we have four people that pay, but then I have openings for people that can't afford to pay that might, you know, be coming out of a difficult situation that might need an extra skill, and they, uh, we will, you know, have them come for free. So I'm just putting that out there. If it's a, you know, woman or a man that might benefit from this, by all means, they can contact me. But the other thing, too, Peter, if I could mention really quickly, is there's a, a conference coming up on February the 25th. It's at the University of Toronto, uh, the David Nyler Building, um, 6 Queens Park West. And it's, it's around uh, support for men. And it's being put on by the Canadian Centre for Men and Families. But they've got some good panelists there, the Canadian Association for Equality and the Fathers Resources International and the Advocacy for Men and Boys. So it's, um, it's open to the public. And they're going to be talking about, um, you know, men's issues, groups, mental health, domestic violence, uh, fathers' rights, and any other questions maybe that the, the audience might have. But it's, it's uh, really an information center to support men and their family. And that's open to any, anybody, correct? Do they have to, Absolutely. Re to register no. with you or anybody first? No, no, they just show up. I'll put the information up on our website. I'm one of the panelists. Um, but uh, I'll put the information up on the website. Although it's for men, it's men and their families. So anybody that's in a relationship with a, you know, with a man, and this could not just be around abuse. It could be around, you know, um, uh, what do you call it, um, parental alienation or, you know, divorced or anything to do that men and their families are trying to, to cope with. 
That is excellent. So, folks, you can go right to uh, their website, abusehurts.ca, the Center for Abuse Awareness, and definitely check it out. And if you know anybody that is in that situation, and as Ellen says, it does not have to necessarily be a physical abuse situation. There's a whole ways, <laughs> lots of other types of abuse, or even feeling neglected. And as Ellen said, alienation is a big one. Ellen, thank you so much for joining us, and um, we'll talk to you next week. Wonderful. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye-bye. More Matters of the Mind right around the corner. Welcome back to Matters of the Mind, where everything on your mind matters most to us each and every week. And thank you so much, folks, for joining us today. Hope you feel a little bit enlightened and uh, perhaps ready to do a little bit of time traveling today. <laughs> yeah, I still need that milk and I still have to shovel off my car before I go get it. So uh, no thanks to your friend who uh, who told me that in my lifetime I cannot expect to be beamed to the uh, corner store. So maybe my children, maybe my children will have that luxury. But you know what, Todd? There's a lot of things happening in my lifetime, our lifetime, that I never thought I would ever see again. And, you know, whether it be the X-Files, Twin Peaks coming back, Full House coming back, um, or the DeLorean just making a comeback. Hey, it's all good. Yeah, we'll have to chip in on one of those. I'll have it on Tuesdays and Thursdays. You have it Monday, Wednesday, Fridays. Yeah, and Brian will build the flux capacitor. <laughs> there you go. All right. Well, thank you for tuning in every Wednesday at 8 p.m. to Matters of the Mind. You can listen to us on podcast if you've missed it. Simply go to talk-radio.ca and find Dr. Sacco's page. And there's that wonderful podcast player. We'll catch you right back here next Wednesday at 8 p.m. You've been listening to Matters of the Mind on Listen Up Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Peter Andrew Sacco. Get in touch with him on his website, petersacco.com, or find his contact page on Listen Up at talk radio .ca. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash listen up talk radio on Twitter at listen up talk. Thanks for listening and sharing our posts. We'll catch you next week. And all the